Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. A public health emergency has been in place in the U.S. since January of 2020 as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, it will continue to be in effect until at least July, but there is concern in public health circles that we could soon after that see the declaration end, even as the pandemic will still be going on. So what would that mean? What does having a public health emergency in effect do? To learn more, we caught up with Dr. Richard Besser. He is the president and CEO of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the nation's largest public health philanthropy. So to start, just so everybody kind of understands the the lay of the land here, we did recently get the national COVID-19 public health emergency uh, renewed, and that will take it through uh, July. Am I correct? That's right. Yeah, middle of July. Explain to people what this declaration does that we've basically been living under for more than two years. Yeah. So, you know, we're we're all in this state where we want this COVID pandemic to be winding down and to be over. Uh, we don't want to feel like we're continually in emergency situation. But the, the declaration of a public health emergency has has legal ramifications and ramifications in terms of what the federal and state state governments can do. What, what's really important to recognize is that because this is a public health emergency, a declared public health emergency, the government can provide testing and treatment for COVID for free, vaccines for free. The government was able to change some of the, the rules in terms of payment for medical visits. So telehealth visits that have been just so incredibly important during this pandemic uh, for reaching people at home, people who couldn't get out because of, of, of the pandemic. It's allowed clinics to bill for those. Uh, it has allowed the government to provide additional funding for people to, to buy into the marketplace and get, get uh, uh, health insurance. And it's allowed people who are on Medicaid, uh, so government-supported uh, health insurance, it's allowed them to keep their insurance without having to go into the office to recertify uh, on, a, on a very regular basis. And that has kept 16 million people uh, on Medicaid getting those services at a time when, when it's so critically important that everybody has access to high-quality health care. Are you concerned that come July... Because the politics of this have been so all over the place uh, and so many people, as you kind of earlier said, everybody wants it to be over so bad. Are you worried that July we might not see it extended? I, I am worried. You know, I'm worried about the politics of it and just the phrase public health emergency. I wish we could just change that title so the word emergency wasn't there. And it's just, you know, increased public health authorities um, or expanded public health authorities. And, and you know, we have shifted as a nation in terms of how we're approaching this, this pandemic. It's, it, it was controlled early on uh, in large part by public health measures, social distancing, wearing masks, identifying people who, who were sick and quarantining and isolating. And we've moved past that. It's an, ex it's an exciting period in that uh, overall, the number of people in hospital, uh, hospitals is going down. The number of people who are dying each day is going down. Uh, and that's a good thing. But we've shifted to a strategy where we want people who who are sick as soon as they have symptoms to get tested. And if they're at high risk to get treated, 
because we have drugs now that we didn't have early in the pandemic that will reduce the likelihood that you, you end up in the hospital if you get sick by 90%. But that requires people having access to, to doctors, people having access to those tests, and people having access to drugs. And we, you know, we are the only wealthy nation uh, that doesn't provide health health care, health insurance to the entire population. It depends in our country on whether your employer happens to have as a benefit health insurance. And there are tens of millions of people who are working two, three jobs a day, uh, but there, none of those jobs provide health insurance. And so they are earning a, a little too much to get Medicaid. Uh, and not enough to be able to afford their own insurance. If the support for for those hardworking people goes away, um, they're going to be in real trouble. Um, and and we know that um, each person's risk uh, for for COVID varies. You know, if you are young and healthy, um, you know, thankfully your risk of having a severe outcome from COVID is is very low. And with the variant that's circulating, um, it's even lower. But if you're somebody who has a significant disability, a medical condition that puts you at, at, at higher risk, if you're elderly, you know, if you've got diabetes, you are at increased risk. And you want to make sure that, that in particular, people who are at higher risk have access to those services uh, right away um, so, that, so that they can have the same peace of mind um, as some of the younger, younger people who are out and about and, and starting to get their lives back on track. When you talk about the and I know you're a public health person, but the politics of this, it's amazing to me. We have a federal judge, I think, in Florida who decides that no more masks on airplanes and stuff like that. We have, you know, Congress can't pass more COVID funding for things. I, you know, do we even after two years of this, do we get it? Do we really get it or do we just are we just more focused on the annoyance of little things uh, that impact? teed us not nearly as much as someone being bedridden with this for three months. Yeah. You know, man, I, I, I don't know. You know, we have to find a way to, to come together uh, around critical issues at, as, as a nation. You know, we are so divided on this uh, that for, you know, for half the country, if the government wants it, then it's no from the beginning. Um, and we need to be able to look to see what is in our common interests as, as, as people in this, in, in this country. What is our responsibility, not just for our, our, our own health and our families, but for those around us? Now, I, I was talking to someone about the, the judge overturning or, or ruling that CDC didn't have the authority to require masks and, and said, well, you know, what would it look like if you got on a plane or a bus and the person sitting there was wearing a mask and you weren't, and you just said to them, I'm not wearing a mask. Is that all right with you? Or would you like me to put one on? You know, not a big deal, but you don't know what the risks are, you know, the risk status is of that person or their comfort level. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we just treated each other with, with some kindness? And, and it, you know, then you wouldn't even need mask mandates because you would be just asking those questions and helping those around you protect their own health. But, but we're not in that position right now. We're in a position where it, so many people see it as an assault on their independence to be asked to do something to help protect those around them. And I don't know how we, how we change that, but it worries me for the next uh, public health crisis that we will, uh, we will start from a position 
where we are uh, adversaries with each other, rather than saying, what can we do as a nation to, to protect those who are in most need of protection? Uh, trying to look positive, are there things we've gotten right? You talk about the next, and I agree with you that we're going to be starting from a tough place because everybody's going to look at it adversarially. But the next, maybe not even pandemic, but serious public health situation, are there procedures, are there things we've gotten right, we've learned, we've developed over the last couple of years that you're encouraged will help us going forward? Well, you know, I, th I think there are. I think there's a number of things. One thing that that I just find uh, mind-blowing is that within a year of a new infectious agent being discovered, we had more than more than two safe and effective vaccines that could be administered. Uh, you know, normally the timeline is three to five years. And within a year, we had that. And um, that's absolutely incredible. And it gives me hope for the future that our ability to develop technologies to save people's lives um, is at a wholesale new uh, new level. That's terrific. We've learned during this pandemic uh, that, that providing certain things, uh, providing uh, telemedicine, um, can reach people who have not had access to care. So people in rural communities, people people in, in communities that have transportation issues. You know, I work in a in a as a volunteer in a clinic in Trenton, and what we found during the pandemic is that a lot of patients were using telehealth for mental health services, for counseling, for therapy, and these were a lot of patients who had been referred for counseling before the pandemic, and we, and we thought, oh, they're just not interested. But the convenience, the availability of, of health services by, by telemedicine uh, allowed so many people to get services who didn't have it. And in rural America, where we're seeing, because Medicaid hasn't been expanded, we're seeing a lot of hospitals that depended on Medicaid closing down. Um, it provides services to people who, who uh, would have trouble coming in to see, to see providers. So, so that's a plus. We've seen during this pandemic, there was a period where where families were getting an advance on their child tax credit. That was from last July to the end of the year. And with that advance, it was about $300 per, per child in the family. We saw a reduction of child poverty by 30%. And that's that's just that's just unbelievable to see that that small amount of money was turning turning children's lives around and getting them out of poverty. Now the program expired, but it tells me that if there's the will, if we truly believe that every child in America should have the opportunity to dream and see those dreams come true, it wouldn't cost us a lot of money to get closer to to making that a reality. Uh, and we saw. You know, we, there's just there's an endless list here. I could go on for for hours, but during the during the public health emergency under Medicaid, all pregnant women were provided with care for an entire year after delivery, and that's something that's been called on by experts in maternal care uh, for for years and years and years. But it, it it happened during the pandemic. That's going to expire when the public health emergency expires. But it is so important to women's health. It's important for for subsequent uh, pregnancies that that coverage be for an entire year. So there's a whole list of policies that come out of the pandemic that if we truly wanted to make this a more fair, more just society, which everyone has an opportunity to thrive, we could do that. And it's something you know, at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, we believe very strongly in. Uh, and we're looking for ways to bring people together across the political divide to make this happen. 
That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.